Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 10th edition of Cinema Effect. I don't know how we made it to 10 episodes. Is, is that some kind of anniversary? Because you know how there's like, what do they call it? Like when the Queen has been around for so long, isn't there like a Diamond Jubilee or some shit? Is, is 10 Miles something? Yeah, Miles. What's, yeah. You get a letter from Jerry sure. Reagan or some shit? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, okay, well, there you go. What a milestone. 10 episodes, 10 straight weeks of this absolute garbage show. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my fellow Hans Zimmer appreciator, Jaden. G'day. That was, a, that was a good one this week. Nice. And John Cena, JC, Liam. Hello. I like how commenting on my on my uh, first uh, you know line has become a thing for the past like three episodes now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm grasping me at straws just anything slightly different that occurs. I just need to then talk about it for the next four episodes afterwards oh, yeah, in the yeah. intro, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So... Hey, I mean, if you keep it up and you keep it normal, then I won't have to say it ever again. No, no I'll, I'll spice it up every week. You know, I'll be listening you know, out. With, with that in mind. No. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single week. The show posts every Monday. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate us. And something I've never said before, but hey, I feel like I feel like it needs to be said. You know, there's this good old-fashioned thing called communication, and I feel like it's important, you know, tell your friends about the show, you know, tell your family members about the show, tell your doctors, okay, tell your teachers, your professors, I don't give a shit who you tell, tell your friggin' person who serves you in the supermarket about the show, we greatly appreciate it, we want to grow the show, so thanks in advance for not doing that, and remember to submit your questions, reviews, and all that stuff for next week's film in the YouTube comments section. We'll read that stuff at the end of the show as we always do. And this week's specific question, I think I think it's a good one. Jane, you came up with this. It's good. Favourite film setting? And you specifically noted that it can be anything from just a general setting of a film, the entire thing where an entire th- uh, a movie takes place, or it can just be something as specific as just, you know, you like that one scene where that one scene is shot and all that good stuff and all the the set design maybe for a certain scene. So anything, literally a location, a setting for a film in any regard at all. What's your favourite one and why? Let us know. I'm going to have to think about that one because that's that's a broad question, but I like it though. This week we're doing a new film, as, as you said last week, Fitzy, rejoicing. We're doing a new film. And, I mean, I would love to be doing new films more, but... You know, who know who knows when uh, there'll be enough to even you know choose from and talk about. But we're doing Onward, which was one of the last, at least in the US, one of the last big films to hit theaters prior to the apocalypse. So let's get into the data dump. Onward opened in the US on the sixth of March, two thousand and twenty. It was directed by Dan Scanlon. It was written by Dan Scanlon, Jason Headley, nailed it, and Keith. Bunin, Boonin, sorry, actors, <laughs> Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's Louis, right? It's not Louis? Louis, yeah, I think. Louise, god damn it. Dude, all right, yeah, that, that name is something. I, I I don't really respect people that name their kids that because well, you don't know which way it's going to go, you know? What, Louis or Louise? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too hard, okay? Octavia Spencer. Also stars in the film. 
The studios, of course, Disney and Pixar. It had a worldwide box office prior to it being pulled of $103 million. Um, and we have no information on the budget. So was it successful? I mean, it's probably impossible to measure given it being put on Disney Plus so soon after its theatrical release. You know, how do you even measure success for this kind of movie and, and the circumstances? But who cares? It had a runtime of one hour and 42 minutes. And the synopsis is... Two elven brothers embark on a quest to bring their father back for one day. Um, I, I talked about Onward, um, when was it? A week, a week two, two weeks ago, I think, on yeah, the show. Two. And I already mentioned how much I really liked the movie. But um, when did you guys watch the movie and how did you feel about it? I um, finished it this morning and uh, started it a week ago or so. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. And it, I liked it. It was good. Cool. Um, cool. That's good. Yeah, I just banged it out in one sitting, like a regular person. What a what a what a trooper, man! You managed to sit there for a whole one hour and forty two minutes. <laughs> I know, it's strange. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I, I might have had a similar level of enjoyment that Fitzy did. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the the way you said that you enjoyed it, I don't know. Feels on par with how I enjoyed it. The way he said he liked it, it just kind of it resonated. Gave a vibe. Yeah. 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 For sure. But who knows, maybe his enjoyment is like a four and mine's like a 20. We don't know. So for you guys then, just kind of generally seemingly just liked it, thought it was enjoyable, did you did you kind of view it as more of just a, oh, okay, that was like a fine entertaining Pixar movie for almost two hours, great, you know, move on to the next one, you know, like kind of bundle it in with, a lot of other Pixar films in that way, or does it stand out to you in any regard? Is there anything that you find kind of special about it, or is it, yeah, is it just kind of that, just another Pixar movie? Just another Pixar movie for me, personally. I mean, like, it was yeah. a good one at that, but, like, um, I don't know. It, like, it had a lot of strengths, but it just felt, in the end, a bit generic in terms of story. I mean, it felt predictable as hell from, like, the whole quest and the reuniting of the brothers and realizing you know the special person was in front of him all along i mm. mean it it, it 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 hits it it ticks all the boxes you know and it it, it, yeah. is, it it is rather predictable but like i'm not sure if that pulled my enjoyment too much but like it was it was definitely something that i think maybe hampered my experience for me like I, I totally get what you're saying with the predictability and yeah no this movie especially from a kind of just a pure narrative perspective doesn't do anything, you know, too crazy or too out there. Um, and I feel like that's something Pixar is often quite good at is that their plots and their stories kind of evolve in interesting ways. And a lot of Pixar movies do have interesting twists and turns that you don't see coming. And this story isn't really that. But at the same time, I do think that despite it not um, having those kind of moments, that the fact that it it's still so good and so enjoyable is kind of a testament to it that even though it is so predictable, um, it kind of doesn't matter to me anyway. It doesn't really affect anything. Um, and I think that's kind of just shows how much I like it and its quality in my opinion. But, um, but yeah, well, how do you feel about that, Fitzy? What's your response to that? Um, like in some ways it feels kind of like just another generic Pixar, but it feels very fresh and kind of I don't know like in some ways un- like un-Pixar-y maybe that's just kind of like the human the human-like characters and stuff but 
Yeah, I don't know. It was somewhere between like a fully original film and a just a good Pixar film, I think. Well, I mean, the setting, I think at least, I think the setting of the film really does stand out. It is yeah. really kind of unique yeah. for sure. And like having this fantasy world that is, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess this fantasy world that's modernized to kind of half resemble our world. Um, but then obviously, you know, we've got these different races and, and magic and all that shit that exists in it. And I love the way that was introduced as well. Um, and the way it kind of also plays a part in some of the character development throughout, I think is, I think it's all pretty clever. Um, hmm. And that's, that's another thing that kind of puts it above standard Pixar as well. Um, I, I guess for you guys then, what is when we say, because I also do jump to comparing to what we've just classified as standard Pixar. What is a standard Pixar movie? What do you guys think? Like what's a Pixar movie that is just exemplifies standard Pixar? Because I, feel, I don't know. I feel like Pixar movies generally are all, for the most part, pretty unique and stand out in different ways. But um, I don't know. What's like a – do you guys have a generic Pixar movie or a group of them that we're kind of comparing to here? Um. I don't think it's so much as a generic Pixar as that it's a Pixar film with a generic plot and that's what kind and like so like I mean everything in it is rather mm. original you know this hybrid world the characters and you know the you know what, what what happens but it's just that the way the events unfold and the events that do unfold you know that's the generic part not so much it's not so much you know on Pixar's behalf it's more just you know the way the story was written I know you said you've You've said you've uh, liked the film and and stuff, but like just as a summary, how do you feel about it as a whole? I guess as a whole, I just thought that it's a really compact and engaging story at the end of the day. And sure, like I don't disagree with the predictability elements, but I feel like nonetheless, despite it not doing anything particularly new or unique or surprising to the audience, it does everything super well. Um, there are, I think all the scenes and all the, the plot beats that we get to the character beats, they're all super interesting, kind of vary from one another. There's some pretty good humor injected in there. It's definitely not the funniest Pixar movie by any means, but, um, nonetheless, like, I think it's got definitely charming elements and characters and I know, like, and also just the fact that this story just resonates with me so much. I mentioned kind of the, the, the brother dynamic a few weeks ago and, that is that that was super special. I felt the way that that was captured, and I don't know. I really love the characters. I love mm. um, Ian and what's uh, what's Chris Pratt's name again? What's his name? Barley. I can't remember. Thank you. Yes, um, I really like those characters. They're clearly defined as being different, um, and the way they get along, um, and then you know, obviously conflict in certain ways, and then the way that changes, but. No, I just I don't know. I just found this movie super entertaining all the way through. I really liked the characters, and I really loved. I just thought the third act was absolutely phenomenal. The way just everything in the film built to that third act, where all their decisions and everything they've kind of learnt and been through, and uh, all their desires kind of built to that uh, kind of choice at the end, I guess, and and that kind of final battle, I thought was all really, really good storytelling, I guess. Let's get to, I'll jump into some trivia here because kind of building off what I just said, um, to get to the heart of what the film is about, 
According to director Dan Scanlon, who lost his father at a very young age, the film's inspired by the question he's always asked, who was my father? The story is set in a world with no humans, elves, trolls, sprites, and anything would be on the side of a van in the 70s. Anything that, sorry, and, and anything that would be on the side of a van in the 70s exists in this world, said the director. In this film, we're going to tell the story of two teenage elf, elf brothers whose father died when they were too young to remember him. But thanks to the little magic still left in the world, the boys embark on a quest. Okay, I feel like he's just reading a synopsis now, but anyway, that will allow them a chance to spend one last magical day with their father. I, I, sorry, I didn't realize that was that long, but I guess the first half of that and the seeing Ian's character development in particular as the protagonist and how he how much he just wants to have some form of connection with his father and then that is i think the core of the story that Dan's talking about how his own experiences really shape that i think and um he like what Ian like meets the dude who like knew his father in the in the diner or whatever and he's super interested to hear about him and we see how he has that one tape of him and he you know those scenes i think are in in the early parts of the film do a really good job of establishing Ian as a character. He's quite an insecure teenager. Um, seems like a pretty standard nice guy, just wants uh, what I think most people want. You know, he wants to kind of get along with others and all that shit. You know, that's all, stand, all standard shit, but I don't know. It works for me. And But it was that connection that he wanted with his father and then hearing about his father from all these different sources and from his brother who did know him. Um and then the way then his arc throughout the movie, the way it builds to the third act and his decision to let Barley say goodbye to his dad and he never gets the chance to say hi to him. But um, I just thought all that was super well done. And like the the moment that you were talking about, Jane, with the predictability element of, of you see the end kind of coming a bit, but the moment when he's kind of like, because he, he, he writes down the checklist of what he wants to get from the journey and when he realises that, He'd, he'd gotten everything he wanted and it was from his brother, not his dad. And I was just like, yo, how is this like so, <laughs> it's like so obvious on, on some level. It's like, oh, okay, like, yeah, we get it. It's like the thing where you get what you were expecting and not the way you expected it. Um, but it's still, I was like, it still hit me so hard. I was like, holy shit, those, those like goddamn flashback shots and, and I, I loved all that stuff. Yeah, like it, it was like, it was, it was still emotional, like, I, like, I still, you know, it still was impactful, but, you know, predictable at the same time. Yeah. And, and then I guess all the, the angle I'm coming at it from is just, I think that's a testament to it, you know, the fact that you, they can make something so, um, something that everyone can see coming so emotional yet. Yeah, um, but if you put any that, sob story, you know, on camera and, you, you know, like anything like, you know, about lost his father, lost his brother, lost his sister, lost his mother, it's always going to be impactful no matter what happens. I mean, obviously there's exceptions to that rule. But yeah. you know, it's 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 a it's a story as old as time. That's always going to get you know. It's always going to tug your heartstrings. And so I like, guess I guess so. That's why, like you know, it's impactful. But like, I don't think it's impactful for any reason. That the I don't think it's it's an example. I don't think it's it's become the film's behalf. I just think it's because it's that type of story that everyone can latch onto. I guess so. But I think, nonetheless, though, I think the way the story develops really, um on this quest that is pretty straightforward, but the moments in it that build to that third act reveal, I think is what really makes it stand out apart from just being, oh, they lost their dad, let's feel sorry for them, you know, because 
um, I'll, I'll jump into a ra- I'll jump into a random one that I really like. A random scene. There's there's a lot like it, but um, when they have to cross the bridge and they use and you know Ian the whole time has been trying to learn to use the magical staff and shit, and he does it and the rope runs out and everything, and he's walking along over the bridge and he trusts in himself. But that's just a really good scene that builds really good tension. Um, uh, everything going on there, I just, I just really like. It's got you know, obviously got that good bit of humor in it too. Um, and it, again, testing the character's confidence. And then when we see him, I guess I don't know, a little bit later in the third act, and we see him using all those lessons, um, using all the magical spells and shit to fight the concrete dragon. Which, by the way, I was all about the concrete dragon, but um, yeah, I don't know just the way that the movie built to that final conflict, I thought was really cool and. You know, you felt it the entire time and you felt like then getting to that final fight, you felt like you earned that, you know? But there was never a sense of tension. I mean, it's a Pixar film. You always know what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, they're not going to plunge your character into the void, you know? I mean, like, it's like I, I, I disagree with the tension part. <laughs> I mean, sure. Like, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I wasn't expecting him to just die on the spot. I, no, I, I disagree, though. I do think the scene's well-directed and edited and put together to where... Um, it does really kind of hold on to when you, he's, he's taking those last few steps and he you know, don't turn around, don't look. Um, and I think that's kind of just more investment into the characters, at least for me it was anyway, um, investment in the characters as opposed to just um, obviously, yeah, taking a step back, you're like, oh, yeah, obviously nothing's going to die. I wasn't necessarily afraid for him to die, but. Um, yeah, it's just such a play by the book scene though. I mean, like, you know, you, you can put it in like you know a jungle setting where characters are crossing a rope bridge and the rope bridge you know is about to snap and like don't just hurry up get over it it's, you know it's generic shit isn't it I mean like fair enough like it was fine in the context of the movie but like you know it just felt like everything was generic and it just took away a lot from the film I don't I don't agree like I I it, you're absolutely right about the that on paper that does seem like a jungle bridge scene that. <laughs> I love how you mentioned it being in a jungle because that's actually exactly what like the archetypal version of that scene would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> that rickety bridge in the jungle. But I do think the magic element adds something to it where, you know, this character has been trying to learn these spells and, and he's the one that's making this possible. It's not like they get there and the bridge is already there. And sure, I, I, obviously there's it's hugely similar, but it, it is a twist on that typical scene anyway, you know, the fact that there is literally no way to cross and his skills and his belief is what gets him across until, you know, and then obviously you're right when he's walking across, the tension is built in the same way a typical jungle scene would be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a cool, I think this movie has cool twists on those kind of typical scenes. Um, did you guys have a particular standout scene at all? I like the, uh, the when they're under the cave and stuff, you know, when they're in, they're in the water. And uh... Oh, when they make the... What is it? The bloody Cheeto or something huge? Is that what you mean? Or yeah, and then you know the brother tells him about the uh, memory of the dad. That was good. Oh yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. I-, I liked everything kind of following that as well. Where I think it's like five ten minutes after that when they get when they're in that final cave section, building up to the reveal that they just climb out and they're just at the high school again. But mm. all that shit there, where it's like the Indiana Jones. Um, traps and booby traps and all that shit and there there's the water element involved too um again like i think that the cool twists on traditional scenes where they have to the whole time and this is the case for literally the entire movie but having the dad who's only the pants the entire time having to guide him through as well 
adds another layer of kind of interesting, an interesting dynamic um, to the action there, I think, anyway. And obviously the movie's, you know, I think it goes without saying, but the movie's beautiful. It's really, it's gorgeous to look at. Um, yeah. And re- really well animated. Um, so that's those elements already kind of make that traditional Indiana Jones shit kind of entertaining for me anyway. But then I feel like the Pan's character as a whole is interesting. Um, I don't think all the humor works with the with the dad as a pair of pants. Which, I, well, listening to this without a context is kind of would be weird. <laughs> I guess there's um they bring back their, they try to bring back their dad from the dead for a day, and they manage to get it halfway at the start of the movie. So literally for the entire movie, their dad is just a walking pair of pants who's like the third central character of the movie. Um, so I know I thought that was another cool kind of element that they introduced. It's kind of different, a cool challenge I think for the studio, you know, to be able to make this character who's not a character a character. Yeah. Make it have personality with just his pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was never I was never like bored by the movie or anything. It was um like entertaining throughout. So mm-hmm. it, like there was no it was paced well I guess. There was no slow parts or Yeah. Know, um I wasn't bored by it, but like so many moments had me rolling my eyes just like when it would hit those beats that, you know, you know, oh look, it's is the trope is the trope that oh look, innocent pixies are on the motorcycles and they're part of a gang. Oh look, Ian's <laughs> helping everyone realize their true potential. Look, the horse is running again. You know, like it, it's just like oh my god, it's just such generic shit. Like you know, ultimately, I still like I still like the movie, but like, it was just it was just every time it hit moments like that, I, I was kind of just like you know, move on. I guess, but I, I don't know. I still I liked all that shit because I, I totally get what you're saying, but that's not like the central plot or the central kind of arc or narrative of the film, you know, like I feel like, and I agree with you. It does happen quite a fair bit. So I get what you mean. It it does. They do cut to it, but at least when it does happen, it happens with the pixies. It happens with the, the, the centaur dude. who's like, happens with the manticore. That's right. It does happen. Did you like that scene at at her tavern? Like I, I didn't enjoy that. Yes. You did. I I did. I didn't. Dude, dude, the the humor with the, um, the humor with the stupid mascot who like giggles, dude. That's so. That's so my humor. It's so stupid. I'm like so about that. I thought it was cool how you know you had this manticore creature that was trying to run a tavern. It's funny. I mean, like, yeah, like it's it's a necessary part of the plot because that's where they get the you know the clue and whatever, and like that's where the manticore is introduced. But like, I don't know. I think I think maybe maybe because the style of humor wasn't for me, and maybe just I, there was just something about the scene that I just couldn't enjoy. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't expect. Yeah. I don't expect everyone to laugh at the, that that mascot humor. I thought that that mascot dude was funny. It cracked me up. But, um, I, but I do think the scene, while serving the plot in that way, and injecting a bit of humor, it also, it's just another way in which the film kind of subverts the expectations of the the fantastical setting and the com- combination with our modern reality, where they get there and the manticore is just like you know the manager of this restaurant. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it was cool how they had um, you know, these centaur creatures and just different fantastical creatures, you know, integrated into society. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, so sorry, but I was saying about the your point about people realizing their full potential, Jade, and um, I feel like because it's not because it only like they they cut back to these characters just a few times sprinkled throughout i feel like it never became egregious to me anyway um 
You know what I mean? Like because it wasn't the central arc of the movie, I guess. Well, well you've got the Manticore, you've got the mum, you've got the you've got Ian, you've got the Pixies, you've got the Centaur, and you know a host of other characters throughout. I mean, it 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 it. it I feel like it's 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 it, it's often enough that it does need to be pointed out. Oh yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, no, you actually highlighted more than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I don't know I, I still found it kind of heartwarming though when the when the centaur dude runs at the end and he whips out his hair. I'm like, hell yeah, man, whip out that hair. It's just a shitty version of Firens. Of what? Is, is that what the uh, centaur from Harry Potter is called, Firens? Oh shit, dude, I've got no idea. Is it? Oh, let me search it up. Yeah, it is. It is called Firens, or maybe it's Fidens. I don't know. Dude, whoever that dude was, he didn't have as good hair as as the cop in this movie. I'll tell you. Uh, some of this fan art has got pretty fantastic hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you send that to me afterwards? No, don't. God, no. Um, <laughs> no, definitely not. I never want to look at this again. God, send our fan art. But I do like how the film doesn't have an antagonist. and um, The gelatinous cube. She, you're right, yeah. That that, <laughs> that jelly is an antagonist. Yeah. But, no, um, I, I like how the, the conflict of the film really only comes from um, – the, the personal elements and the emotions, but then also from um, still, yeah, I guess the personal connections with the characters where this cop this cop dude who's also like the, the mum's partner, how he, for all intents and purposes, is the one opposing the main characters in the film. But he's, you know, he's a cool bloke as well, you know. So I kind of, I, I think that's kind of cool, I guess, that it doesn't follow that uh, traditional uh, structure. I mean, he is a traditional character. Is, is is he not? I mean, like you know, the whole uh, look. Mum's got a new step boyfriend. Or he's got mum's got a new boyfriend that the kids don't like. But then you know, it turns out he's all right, type of thing. And you know, oh look, oh, no, yeah, no, that's true. He's, that's he's, true. He's, I mean, he's being he's pestering us in the first half, but then you know, at the end, we're kind of friends with him. You know, I mean, that's. I thought he was a good bloke the whole time. I don't think he really turned good. You know, I mean, he didn't turn good, but you know, he was there chasing them, and it, it was he was kind of an annoyance to them. You know. No, that's true. That's true. I guess I just meant that the fact that he's not, yeah, because he technically is the antagonist, you know, but he, he doesn't really feel like one. I guess yeah. is all I meant. How do you guys feel about the performances in the movie? Because going in, okay, you got Tom Holland, you got Chris Pratt, okay, you know, you get these for these animated uh, features, you get these celebrity actors to do their voices, and you just kind of expect them to do their thing, you know, to play their regular role. I thought they were really good, though. I thought, um. Surprisingly, I actually thought Tom Holland was really good in the movie, and he gave me something I wasn't expecting. He, I was kind of expecting just to get you know Tom Holland American accent that we're used to, but he, I don't know, he, I think he gave a bit more depth than that. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I forgot it was Tom Holland. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Does it not feel kind of like Spider Man? You know, teenage kids gets powers. You know, conflict out the film. He he's not confident in his powers, so he loses them at some points, but then he comes to realize it. He's searching for, a, you know, a dead person, you know, that connection with them, you know. It, it, it kind of felt like a Spider-Man story, to be honest. Oh, I guess so. I mean, that's a pretty traditional hero arc, so I, I, yeah. mean, I guess so, yeah. But yeah. I think because it was Tom Holland as well, that's all I could think about. I was like, oh, oh this right. is just Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> it's kind of like if you took Tom Holland and put him into Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man story, that's kind of what it felt like. You, you would, would you have loved that or don't leave, leave Andrew Garfield alone? Oh, yeah, leave it. And everything about those films is great. We'll get them one day, and you'll get to you'll get to uh, say your piece on that. Yeah. Oh god. But at Chris Pratt as well, like he's super over the top, but I kind of liked it. You know, yeah, I, it I'd, I'd rather that than yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, like I heard a lot of people wanting uh Jack Black for the role instead of Chris Pratt, but I feel like 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. You wanting this um, kind of this character who is supposed to be like presented as um, like a bit out of touch or a screw up or whatever you want to call it. Like I feel like Chris Pratt actually works better for that role. Like Jack Black would just be too cool for the role, you know. I feel like Jack Black's too predictable for that role, isn't he? Yeah, it does seem like I think there's a reason everyone. Or, I don't know, those people apparently wanted him because I feel like he fits it too well, you know? Yeah. It's like, mm. or he's traditionally seen to, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't really like that idea. It seems pretty, it seems too on the nose, too obvious. Yeah. No, I think Pratt did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He was cool. I personally really like the title of the movie. Um, because I think it's just, I think this movie, this movie just gives me positive vibes, man. I think that's just, <laughs> that's a good way to sum it up for me, you know, because I, I like the little mention early on in the movie that the, the van, what's the, do you guys remember the van's name? Cause I certainly don't. The Guinevere. 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 Thank you. You guys watched it more recently than me. Um, I, I like Guinevere's kind of role in the story and they point out, they make sure to point out earlier that the drive gear in the car on the van rather, um, is O for Onward. And I thought, I'm like, oh, okay, that's like a cool touch. Let's see what happens with that. Um, and then the way it comes back into play with Barley sacrificing his beloved van. Yeah, that was like one of my chat. favorite scenes. It, it, yeah, it, it was, was one of mine too. It was a nice parody, but it was also, you know, it was it was, it was emotional at the same time because of his connection to it. So, yeah. I mean, you know, the music and the dramatic ways, it's, it's you know, it's great. You know? Yeah, it really was. And, how the, how the movie made it really clear how much that van meant to him because didn't he say that, like, if he could talk to his dad, you know, he'd just want to show him what he did with the van, you know? So it's like, oh, shit, it means a lot to you, but he was willing to give it up. And that, so that's like, you know, again, traditional stuff, but it was really cool um, and well-directed, like you said, Jaden. But then the fact that, you know, I like the shot of it, him kind of putting it into Onward and the and the van just going straight, straight at the mountain or whatever to stop the cops um, from reaching them. I thought that was cool. It kind of all, for me, just came together to kind of symbolise that let's not let's not get st- stuck on things in life. Let's not get too. Um, I guess let's just keep moving forward. You know, it's <laughs> onward. It's literally what it means. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, <laughs> but no, I thought it, I think it's a cool kind of heartwarming message to not to live in the moment and to just keep moving forward. You know, and to not get too attached to things and, and and aspects of life and material objects and the like. You know, pretty. Uh, broad message, but a cool one. Yeah, so it's definitely more unique than people are giving it credit for. And yeah. at the same time, it's very, you know, as you said, it's well, very well delivered. It's like um, you got all these kind of traditional story ideas, but they kind of have this this twist in them with the fantasy and the story. So I actually really did, yeah, like it as a whole, but um, it does, um, it also does you know, hit on those Pixar beats, but... I will say I do wish... Um, I feel like some small parts of the movie where the, the movie didn't quite live up to, like, high kind of Pixar entertainment standards, where I didn't love the interactions with the mum and the, and the manticore when they're kind of driving around and they stop at a pawn shop and, you know, threaten the dude, threaten yeah. the old lady who works there. Some of those interactions, like, they were fine. They, they weren't bad or anything, but they were, like... I feel like these could be better, you know? The Cuban didn't quite land for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, was the mum... Was the mum supposed to have an arc in this movie or was she just kind of a sub? 
Like a subplot, I guess. She is a warrior. I don't know. That is her arc. Yeah, that. Well, was that like supposed to be a thing? You know how at the start she's doing like the zoom, the zumba thing, and like you know, say say it now with me. You're a warrior. And then oh. at, the end, at the end, when she's like battling the dragon, she's like, "I am a warrior." Tosses the sword. Oh, right, she doesn't toss it. She just stabs it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. No, that was that was actually cool. I mean, I love the entire final boss fight, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. I, I like how again, just cool scenes with twists on them. How the drag, it's a dragon. Of course, you know the final boss is fa- you know. Uh, fantasy movies a dragon but how it's formed out of like the high school and how that comes back into earlier from the shot of the painted dragon on the brick wall it's just like it's just cool little visual storytelling i like um and the moment when he like the dragon put a frown on his face is like cool humor as well but yeah no like i mentioned earlier ian kind of putting all those skills together to you know give his brother this moment but then also yeah defeat the dragon i don't know it was it was like it was just cool i think it was a cool kind of hero's journey self-contained thing happening one quarrel, like so, like at the end when he loses his staff, he then picks out of the splinter that he got earlier, and he uses that as, as his new staff. But like, isn't like the first like reaction when whenever you get a splinter, just like try and pull it out immediately? I mean, like, is is that is that not what you go to? Mm. Isn't there a? Yeah, I watched a few. Oh, yeah, you guys watched it more recently than me, but I'm trying to think. Isn't there? Is there a line earlier in the movie something re- referencing the splinters and the staff? That, like, answers yeah. that? Am I wrong? Well, yeah. Well, he's like, oh, yeah, there's magic, you know, in, in like, every part. And, like, that, you know, that that's that's why they use it later on. Like, you know, whenever right. you get a splinter, you know, you just absentmindedly just remove it. Yeah, oh, you know. um, well, he, I think that Duck's right there because um, there's a scene earlier in the movie where the Ian has to focus and he gets a splinter from the staff and then... Uh, Bali is like, oh no, you can't focus on the splinter. You have to like focus on the on the spell when they're trying to like um, enlarge the gas the yeah. gas tank. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it wasn't a serious problem. It was just me pointing out like something stupid. I mean, it's not stupid. It's just something that you know. I was, I was just you know poking a bit of fun at the film. Oh. I was I was serious <laughs> in my complaint there. You're poking a bit of fun at the film. Yeah. Oh god! Um, how long was this film on your guys' radar? Because I feel like the release just kind of snuck up on me. Like I feel like I heard about it like in fleeting moments for a few, for like a year. Like never had anything solid, and then all of a sudden, you know, a week before it's out, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, he's onward. Yeah, well, I definitely feel like the um, the the you know virus overshadowed you know the release by a large yeah. a large extent. Yeah, but still, the virus was only like you know, in its early stages when this was first released, you know, you'd expect promotional, like, material a few months beforehand, but I feel like we never really got that wide release of promotional images. You know, like, I don't remember ever seeing, like, a TV spot. I never got, you know, an ad, like, a trailer for an ad. I don't remember seeing any, you know, character Mm. posters anywhere. I wonder if that's just maybe targeted ads for, you know, I wasn't getting them, but, you know, it (laughs) it just felt like, you know, it just felt like this release kind of came out of nowhere. And, and same thing with the soul coming up. I mean, like uh, the same thing where I was also, I'm like, oh yeah, Pharrell Williams involved, and it's called Soul, but like I know nothing else of the film. It just pops up every now and then, but I know nothing. Yeah, I, I was kind of similar because I, I agree. As we got close to the release, I definitely didn't realize it was coming out. But um, but before that, though, no, I was kind of I had it on my radar. I knew you know the title of the film, who was in it, and I did watch the first trailer. But then between that time and then its release, I was with you where I did lose track of, wait, when the hell is that movie coming out? Yeah. 
Well, don't yeah, don't even know if I watched trailer, but yeah, I'm pretty sure most people on uh, that's most people's experience anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It just shocks me because you know Pixar is such a famous studio, and you know their films are adored. So I would have thought they'd be, maybe there was, but I just didn't see it. You know, I thought they'd be a much larger like push to advertise a film. Should I get into the um, mandatory section where I just reference some of the stupid amounts of Easter eggs that are in the movie because I feel like I'd kind of have to. Yeah. yeah, just pick it. Yeah, let's do it. There's obviously tons of fantasy reference and references and and shit in the movie. Uh, all right, here we go. So the Burger Shire, a fast food restaurant in the film, has a sign reading "Now Serving Second Breakfast," which is of course a reference to the Lord of the Rings and how the hobbits have second breakfast. Hip hip hooray! In Barley's van, there is a sign that says "You shall not pass." Yeah, shocking. Um, here we go. Well, this is actually a good one. Look closely at the Manticore's tavern. The cook is actually Remy the rat from Ratatouille, while other members of the staff are wearing, oh, yeah, saucer and Mickey hats. That, that's kind of obvious. But there's even a Pixar ball in the background. Um, and the prize area includes the toy frogs from Toy Story 4. So there you go. That's some cool. I didn't even, the Ratatouille reference is a cool one. Yeah. You see, references like that are cool. Like, you know, the ones that are kind of in the background. But like the ones where like they just slap you in the face with, oh, here's Lord of the Rings, here's D&D, here's Back to the Future. Like, uh, that's another moment sure, where I'm like, sure. I'm like, you know, it's it's so obvious. I'm like, I really didn't need this at all. Like, you know, couldn't snuck, you couldn't have snuck something small in, but, you know. Oh, yeah, I guess. Oh, no, I mean, it's, it's, kind of the, there, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, there is, like, a lot of Easter eggs, both big and small. But, you know, it's some of those bigger ones, like the Back to the Future one, and, like, some of those Lord of the Rings and D&D ones, I'm just like, ah. I don't actually notice much in the movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice the restaurant and, and shit either. Um, I mean, you see, yeah, I noticed some of them. Like the Mickey hats were kind of obvious, yeah. and um, yeah. Apparently, there was a lot of Indiana Jones references as well. But um, that's funny. Uh, the Remy the Rat was there because uh, to me, uh, Ian kind of looks like uh, Linguini from Ratatouille. Oh shit, he kind of does too. <laughs> Maybe they're part of a shared universe where they're like lost twins. Yeah. Hey, the Pixar theory—it's out there. Maybe, maybe he's the dad. <laughs> oh my god maybe hey wait have you guys have you guys seen this pixar theory because it's just it's so bizarre oh the is it pixar kind of like theory. how it's like every, everything stephen king makes is like related is it kind of similar to that yeah it's like that yeah except for but yeah it's yeah. it's weird it, it's a decent oh, theory. i can't even remember it off the top of my head but like how like one of them like wall-e's like in the super in the past or some shit but isn't that kind of like disproved? I mean, uh, uh, I guess not. I mean, like, because you know, I like there's Easter eggs with, you know, Nemo is on this, is, there's a Nemo print on this dress, and there's, you know, this character appears in the background of this. Oh, I mean, I guess it kind of strengthens it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I th- the theory is just absolutely bizarre. I don't know how it makes any sense, but good on the people that continue trying to make it fit. And of course, one last bit of trivia because. You know, it's a Pixar movie. The popular A113 reference is present in the film, obviously. Uh, the police call that comes near the end says A113 in progress. Um, and in case you, you've been living under a rock, I'll just let you know. That was a bit harsh, actually. Sorry. You, you, I mean, normal people don't know about this shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a bit rude. A113 was, of course, the classroom used by John Lasseter, Tim Burton, and Brad Bird at the California Institute of Arts and appears in all Pixar films, so... I love that running joke, as we know. Does does the A one one three appear in Burton's films or not? It doesn't, does it? Mm, not to my knowledge. 
he just hated his time at uni. He's just like me. I don't want to remember that classroom. Yeah, because right, I, 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 I can't, I can't recall anyone being like, "Oh, look, in Edward Scissorhands, it says A one one three there." You know, I've never, I've never seen Edward Scissorhands. Is it any good? That's oh, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a bizarre premise for a movie. Yeah, it's the guy with Scissorhands. It is pretty bizarre, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've kind of touched on everything I want to say personally. I, I, I love like Fitzy mentioned the pacing. Love the pacing in the movie, and I love the script overall. And I think that is generally an advantage of animated features over live action movies is the fact that because every frame is animated with such detail, you know, it gives the the filmmakers such a level of control over the story that. Um, you don't have in live action. You know, you can control every little detail of character movements and, and everything in the world. So um, and I think the, the script really kind of highlights the way that the film, everything set up earlier in the movie ends up in some way having a resolution later on in the third act. So there's nothing really, no plot element introduced or even throwaway lines. Um, they all kind of come back in a cool way. So I like it. I like it. Mm. Yeah, I did really like the um, the dynamic in the movie. I feel like the soundtrack was good at times, but also like, like in terms of Pixar standards, it's kind of forgettable. You know? mm. Did did yeah? Did the soundtrack score anything stand out to you guys at all? Because, granted, it has been a few weeks since I've seen the movie. Two weeks, but I don't really remember anything about the music at all in the movie. Only the music when the van explodes like that's the only thing that i can recall mm. I and mean, i watched it last night i mean like right right <laughs> there you go <laughs> but yeah it doesn't feel as musical as other pixar films i guess yeah it's no incredibles yeah. you know oh no dude dude the incredibles music man god i knew that'd get you off <laughs> <laughs> you, you know yeah oh god you know how to get me good all right well let's reveal our score for onward out of 10 uh, Jan, you go first. Um, yeah, I, I've said a fair few things I don't like about it in this duration, but I, I think once again, I was just to balance out everything that you liked about it, and you know, I just felt like you know discussing a fair point. Um, but I still yeah. did enjoy the film. I think a seven, maybe teeters on an eight, but I think it, it sticks down to a seven for me personally. Yeah, I really did uh, enjoy it. I can't, I can't really. I can't really fault it on any big way, and um, yeah, I think uh, eight out of ten for me. It's pretty great. Awesome, awesome. I'll give the movie a nine. Um, I don't know if I don't particularly. I don't know if I find any element far superior than you guys found it. But by definition, this movie did emotionally impact me um, to the point of tears. Very, very close in the uh, in the third act for sure. Um, I just admitted I cried on a podcast, everyone. Everyone abandoned this show. It's all over. But Maybe that um, can be next week's question. How often do you cry in films? Oh, that's a good one. I'll, yeah, we'll add that to the list for sure. Um, <laughs> but um, this movie did get me for sure. And by definition, I have to give it a nine just for that. I think if, if a film is that enjoyable and solid all around and then also manages to do that, it's something that sticks with me on some level. So I'll give it a nine. We'll, we'll get into news chat. There's not a lot. This week, but uh, I mean, we'll stick with what we have, um, oh, which isn't a lot. Jane, do, do you want, let's talk about this Hans Zimmer and Alan Walker collaboration. Um, came out yesterday. Uh, is it a good track, and what what's it about? Um, so, in order to celebrate ten years since Inception, 
um, Hans Zimmer and Alan Walker went back and revisited Time, which is, I think Time is Zimmer's most popular piece anyway. Um, so they've, they've, they've gone back and they've remixed that and they've released two editions. They've released a, you know, a short and an extended edition. Um, and they are quality tracks, you know, you get a good bit of Zimmer, a good bit of Alan Walker. And I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's quite a decent blend. I mean, Zimmer's tracks have been remixed before by a host of other artists as well. So, um, it's not, it's not really new to Zimmer's music, but, um, I think this one is a decent remix as well. Have I heard of Alan Walker? I feel like such a dumbass. He, his most popular song came out a few years ago. I think we would have been year nine. It's called Faded. Mm. Right, was you, it like, if yeah, was it like really it, popular? Yeah, it was pretty popular. If you were to hear it, I reckon you'd recognize it. Okay. I'll check it out after then. I think you're, I, I would, I think. All right. Cool. I mean, hey, anything, any mention of time yeah. deserves a shout out on the new show, I think. I, I quite enjoy it because like, it, it has those same, like, you know, massive hits that, like, you know, time does have, but amplified by the electronic element of, you know, Alan, that Alan Walker brings. So, yeah, it, it, they do, it, it does work well. Oh, hang on. Faded the electro, like, it's like an electronic song. Yes. I know that song. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Okay. This makes this makes way more sense now. Cool. <laughs> we we got some more Mandalorian casting news this week, dude. I'm so over the Mandalorian casting news. At this point, are they saving any? And the casting news, I don't know if you saw it, Jan. I'm not even going to mention it because Katie Sackhoff is it? Like what it is? Oh yeah, yeah, you saw it. There you go. Um, so okay, Katie Sackhoff is playing Bo Katan in in um, which I mean, I think that's really cool. I think that's awesome. Um, the fact that we get an animated voiced character repli- reprising her role in live action. But you don't yeah. like that for Ahsoka? No, because they're changing the actress. <laughs> oh, are they? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Rosario Dawson's going to play her. Yeah, if she and, and also, playing, yeah. yeah, exactly. And also, Katie Sackhoff can wear a helmet, you know, sure, if she yeah. doesn't look like Bo-Katan. I think she might anyway, but if she doesn't, that's still an, air, an out, you know. Um, but, yeah, regardless. No, I think it's cool. I just don't get – dude, are they saving anything for the season? They're just wanting to spoil us. So hard. Maybe they so sh- maybe it's showing like crazy. what they've got in the season, like you know, whatever whatever they have is so big that they can release all this news. I would hope so. That's the only uh, scenario where I would find this amount of casting news acceptable. Because at this point, they're just like spoiling all their major. Like these are reveals. Like Boba Fett being in the season is a reveal. Bo Katan is a reveal, and they're just like, oh, we'll just announce it on Twitter. All right. But I hope you're right. I hope it is actually that cool and interesting and, and big that. This isn't really that important in the grand scheme of things, but who knows? Lastly, there's a Scarface remake coming out. Who who did you say is directing this, Jan? Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I don't want to embarrass myself. But he um he he directed Call Me by a Name and um the 2018 remake of Suspiria, so I trust him to make uh, a movie. Sure, sure. It's a um, Luca Guadign Guadignango. I don't, I'm, I'm I'm not sure. Sorry. Right. Okay. I've never seen Scarface. Have you guys seen? It? I assume Jan has. No, I've only seen the 1930s one. There's a 1930s. So you're telling me the Al Pacino one's a remake in itself? Yeah, because Scarface is oh, based man. on like um, uh, is based on Al Capone. It's like you know, oh, okay. yeah. So that, that's where the story came from. I think. Oh. Let me search that up before I make it dig on myself. No, because um, in the Tiger King um, in the Tiger King uh series, they said um, there was a guy who was inspiration for Scarface. Alphonse Gabriel Caparin, sometimes known by the nickname Scarface. Yes, I'm right. Yeah, so Caparin was the original Scarface. So they made a film right. about him 
you know, like 30s, 40s, I can't remember. Wait, but do you remember that, Zach? In Tiger King, that they what did they reference? There was a guy that was featured in Tiger King, and they said he was the original inspiration for Scarface. Do, do you mean a guy that was actually in the do- like? No, yeah, was a cast member in Tiger King. Yeah, they they really? interviewed him in like the second episode oh. or something. But Fitzy, what do you not understand that Capone is Scarface? Hey, let's just assume that guy's full of shit on Tiger King. <laughs> but wait, so neither of you have seen? Have you seen Scarface, Fitzy? Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Well, I I, I haven't either. So yeah. So the the, the 1980s one is based on the 1932 film of the same name. Mm, mm, okay. There was a game based on. Was wasn't there like a PS3 game that of Scarface as well? Yeah, I think so. That rings yeah. a bell. I don't know. Can we I mean, get a remake of that? Yeah. Oh, well, speaking about video game remakes, I don't know if you want to go into this, but Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell yes. Exactly. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. Good for them, dude. Good for them. Especially after Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5. Everyone loved that game. 32 on Metacritic. Um, well, look at look at us just delving into new areas on this podcast anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what have we been watching recently? Fitty, do you want to... Do you wanna, let us know, enlighten us. At Eternity's Gate, which is a bio biography kind of movie about kind of about uh, Vincent Van Gogh, stars Willem Dafoe, and um, it's uh, it was good. I can't rec- I wouldn't. It's a movie I wouldn't like recommend to everyone because it's a very different kind of movie. Like the camera is always like moving around all the place, all over the place, and it's kind of like the effect the the uh you know supposed effect is you're trying to get into his head the kind of uh the um you know the turmoil of his of his head and you're trying to you're learning about his life and how he you know he puts his um his suffering into his art and how he just loves beauty and nature and stuff and um but yeah it was uh it was good do you reckon had he not killed himself, his art would be as celebrated as it is today? Yeah, for sure. You reckon? I mean, what do you think he became popular because he killed himself? Well, it's still I don't know. I mean, in, in the movie, um, I won't spoil. It. Well, I, it's um contested if he did kill himself anyway, but I don't know. I just feel like um, I mean, cause like it's notorious at the time that his art was you know regarded very lowly. You know, I mean, like, you yeah. had to you had to trade it away for food and shit at that times, and like, I just can't imagine it reaching any higher status had it not had this tragic story behind it. Well, like, I don't know, like, it, it, in the movie, yeah, it explores how like his he wasn't his art wasn't popular at the time, but yeah, I feel like we're talking about <laughs> talking about Vince Maker. Um, like, you know, I I think at the time his art didn't fit into the. Uh, the um you know the popular aesthetics of the day like the uh what do you call it the impressionist impressionist art and stuff and um or post impressionist I guess but um right, so we've covered uh music games and art so far in this podcast nice nice what's next books <laughs> we got to talk about books yeah shit yeah what are you reading at the moment Finny <laughs> I'm reading I am Pilgrim at the moment no shit it's this oh. crime thriller it's like one thousand one hundred pages. It scares me just like opening it, but it's really good. That's what I'm reading. 
I'm so sorry. But continue. What have you been watching? Um, and as I saw another movie last night. Do I have to do a drum roll or solo? Oh, yeah, you can talk about it if you want. And it was okay. <laughs> ah, good discussion. Wow, nice. What about you guys? I also had a bit of a slow week. Oh, I mean, four films, it's, not, it's all right. Um, I watched The Last House on the Left, which was Wes Craven's directional debut. Wes Craven, of course, became famous for Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, the Scream franchise. Um, Last House on the Left really wasn't that good. I mean, it was originally written to be pornographic, and then Wes, Cra- Wes Craven decided to change it at the last minute to just make it, you know, a kind of exploitation-esque film. Um, that wasn't really that great. Uh, I watched Compliance. Uh, which is really good. That was based off a real-life case of, like, in 2000-something, I can't recall, a scammer called up McDonald's, like, restaurants across the US, and he got the managers to pretty much assault, like, workers. Um, and, like, it really, it's, like, the way it unfolds, it's really anger-inducing, and, like, the fact that, no, like, none of these adults, these like, these supposedly responsible people, they never said no in such a like heinous situation and like as the acts become more depraved the fact that it just keeps on going it's really crazy you know um yeah so that was pretty good i think i remember seeing that um i then watched the poor keepsy tapes kind of like a i don't know found footage horror i guess but with a much tighter story because it's based on like a fictional case but it's presented as as real and they mm. use like the found tapes as a uh device to tell the story um that was pretty trash as well um it was that was another case of like where the acts throughout the film kind of become more and more depraved and disgusting and it does become a bit intimidating to watch but um you know there's a point where you have to like say you know it it, it, there's a point where like you know violence of violence sake on, on screen just becomes you know shit um, sure. And then last night I watched the fifth part of the Caribbean film, Dead Men Tell No Tales, which was also rather poor. I mean, it's part of the Caribbean, so I'm always happy to just sit there and watch. But um, it it, re- it really was the weakest of the series. Sure. I, 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 I get in moods sometimes where I just, there are these big Hollywood franchises where they apparently get real bad and I'm just totally down to watch them all, you know. Just go along for the ride. Yeah, I'd still watch it just for sake of watching the film, like just before completing the series. And apparently there's mm. a sixth one coming out as well now. So, I mean, I don't know. If, if, if the first three or four, um, if the first four, like, you know, are up your alley, I'd definitely go for number five just for, like, you know, pirates. I watched, um, what did I watch? I finished Afterlife on Netflix, dude. Ricky Gervais, man. What a guy. What a show. So good. The second season, uh, which was just released, and the show is just, it's got his ability to balance just the most depressing shit ever and the most hilarious shit ever, seconds apart, is like unparalleled. It's perfect. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he does it, that kind of comedic level of writing and direction. Um, And because he writes and directs all the episodes, and there's six episodes that are only half an hour long, so it's super easy to get through. Um, Yeah, no, that show's awesome. I started Devs. I watched the first episode. Um, I don't know how quickly I'll get through it. It might honestly be an episode a week. I won't I won't bore you every single week with just one more episode. But for the premiere, 
Dude, this this show this show, man. It's there's some there's some shit going down here. There's some sinister stuff afoot in this program. Oh, is that Alec Garland's show? Yes, it is. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And I've never really I haven't been a huge fan of his work. Um I think I've only wait, hang on, I say that. But I think I've only actually oh I think I've only seen Annihilation. What is he he's done Annihilation next Mark and I, is there anything else? He just so written, something else. So he wrote Twenty Eight Days Later and Never Let Me Go and Sunshine. But Gosh. in terms of directing Ex Machina and Annihilation. Gotcha. And so this show, Devs, is entirely written and entirely directed the entire thing by him. So you're basically getting a super long film from him, I guess. Um, yeah, the first episode was crazy. There's some cool shit going on. I'm interested to find out what it's all about, what's happening, for sure. Um, How long is that? Sorry, just out of... Is it the 10 episodes um, or is it... There's, oh. Yeah, it's eight episodes, oh. an hour long, yeah. Yeah. I also watched um I've been watching Black Sails in my, you know, relaxing time whenever I just want to pop a show on. I- I'm into it, man. I've heard good things about it over the years, so I wanted to check it out. I'm almost through season one and I'm liking it. What's you know, that? a cool pirate show. It's this uh it's this Stars original series, which is like this, I don't know, kind of I I guess it's kind of a smaller network in the US, I don't really know. Um and but it's really good production values, this pirate show. Setting, I guess, in like the seventeen hundreds or some shit. Um, so it's kind of like aesthetically, you know. I guess there's not a lot of pirate content out there these days. So it kind of aesthetically, obviously, reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean, except definitely R-rated for sure. Michael Bay executive producing the show, so you, you know you, he's bringing. I don't know how involved he is, but there's a lot of kind of. It feels like a big deal, I guess. I heard it described as like it does to Pirates of the Caribbean what Game of Thrones does to Lord of the Rings. That's a great comparison, actually. Yeah. It, it, it really feels like that. No, but I'm into it so far. I've heard really positive things about the entire thing because it finished years ago. And there's only four seasons. Um, because, and so the fact that it's not airing anymore and, you know, it's a complete story and people really love it. So that's, that's cool. It's good knowing that. That's all I've got. So let's get into our listeners' submitted answers from last week's question. Last week's question was, what is your favourite bad movie? Um, if there's any confusion regarding the question, what's a movie that you recognize is bad, but you like? It's as simple as that. Henry wrote into us and said, Spy Kids 2 is an underappreciated masterpiece. Preach. Who could forget Steve Buscemi's line, do you think that God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he has created? Wow, some really deep shit there from Spy Kids 2. Such a, like... Have you seen the like image that goes around? It's, it's just got like a list of like really really cool quotes that come from random sources. Like there's <laughs> there's one so like that one's like appears on it, and there's other ones like you know you kneel before my throne unaware it's built on lies, and that just comes from like you know some random text posts, and like there's there's other ones like that come from like Super Mario fan fiction and stuff like that, and like it's crazy oh, like what some people come up with, and then you know but like they're just forced into weird places. That's right. <laughs> It's really funny. Hey, I feel like I've definitely seen Spy Kids 2. I don't know if I could, in my brain, separate it from the first one. I don't know what's different about it. Number two takes place on the island, if that helps. Mm, I think. I think one Spy Kids thing, maybe you haven't seen. I've seen all the other ones. But yeah. Spy Kids 3 is the one where in the video game, isn't it? Yeah, game over. And then Spy Kids 4 is all the time in the world. Spy Kids but they, that, they recast for Spy Kids 4, right? Yeah. Yeah. The first Spy Kids are at that um 
that that castle island place with the guy who makes the weird creatures. We're getting into you know, the spy kids lore. I love it. He makes these um things that appear on the TV shows. It's really creepy because they're like ex spies and stuff. Holy oh, maybe crap, I'm getting dude. my thing mixed around. And then and then number two is on the island with I haven't seen it, but it's on the island with Basemi, and he it creates something. I don't, I don't know, but um. Yeah, number three is the game one where they got to find the infinite lives That's dude, right. and it's like Elijah Wood at the end. Is number four the one with Orlando Bloom as the villain? Orlando Bloom, um, no. Oh no, Antonio one. Banderas is it? No, number four is um the villain is like isn't it like one of them from the future or something? Because it it's all about time travel. Oh, okay, and, okay. I can't recall. I don't know, I'm pretty sure at the end they figure out that, like, the villain is, like, you know, someone they know, but, like, because they, like, spit up time and shit. Because the, the guy, oh, it's like he wanted to go back to his granddad or something. I don't know. We'll discuss this when we uh, review it on the podcast, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm stoked to do Spy Kids, man. <laughs> Spy Kids is great. Oh, my God. It's underrated, man. I got to see number two. This is digging so many memories up from deep within my soul, you know, like when I was like six years old, right there with, you know, right next to Sharkboy and Lava Girl, you know. Mm. Oh, dude. <laughs> that was like Taylor Lautner's like first acting role. Is that right? Or like his first like big acting role? I think so. Yeah. Dude, I used to froth that thing so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many times I saw that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Did you guys ever oh, see uh, the days. Robots? Oh, I watched that movie a ton, but I don't remember anything about it anymore. Yeah, yeah I feel like Robots and Meet the Robinson for some reason like kind of blended together for me. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> I think they're made by the same studio, aren't they? Blue Sky. Oh, maybe. In in Robots, I remember all I remember about it is that they try and go to a party and he's not let in or something, and then there's also a oh, boardroom. Yeah. That's all I remember about it. Do you remember the big uh, Domino dude and the guy? The Domino Man, the, you know, the big kind of fat guy with the, the big round guy, and the other big skinny silver guy, Ronnie Copperbottom. That's that's the main character, skinny isn't it? Need, fill a need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. When you say the Domino guy, I don't know who you're talking about, but I do remember something to do with Dominoes happens in the movie. Like, did Dominoes fall over? Yeah, he's like this guy's got this whole Domino mansion. And he, like, rides around right. on the dominoes. He, like, serves on them. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and it's his, like, introduction scene or whatever. Yeah. And, I well, think... well, he's the he's Ronnie Copperbottom's, um, like, idol, like, mentor. And then he goes to meet yeah. him and he's, like, shit person. Well, he's, he's, he's like, uh, not, not right. what he expected. And then he wants to bring him back to defeat the, 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 uh, the big, the tall silver guy who runs the company. <laughs> Isn't Rodney Copperbottom? Isn't he Ewan McGregor? Yeah, yeah. And his his, <laughs> his friend, the red guy, is um, oh, what's that guy who played Aladdin? Aladdin, the uh, genie in Aladdin, uh, Robin Williams, I think. Oh, he's oh, yeah. too. Jesus. Oh my so, god! Freaking yeah, robots, man. I hope robots isn't your answer for this question, Fitzy, because I don't want to talk about it anymore. The the pub grub pig wrote into us and said, "Worst movie ever is Alexander two thousand and four, complete garbage." I mean, sorry, sorry, pig, if I may call you that, but I don't really know if that was the question. But 
Thanks for your, thanks for writing it anyway. I haven't seen Alexander. Have you guys? I got. I don't know what this movie is. Uh, I think it stars um Colin Farrell as Alexander. Mm. Farrell's a younger one. Wait, Colin Firth and Colin Farrell. Which one's Firth's old? Farrell's young, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Farrell is Alexander, and I think Rosario Dawson might also be in it if I'm right. Oh God. <laughs> I think it's isn't it like three and a half hours long? Yeah. Oh Jesus. I think it's meant to be like a modern day epic. Well, not a modern day epic, but like you know, an epic created in the modern day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. It also features Anthony Hopkins. Does it? Yeah. On the watch list now. Anthony Hopkins popping up in Alexander and Transforms the last night. You know. Oh, you spoiled my reveal. Oh, did, oh shit! You you go right <laughs> now. Then. What's your answer? Um, my answer is the Transformers series as an entirety. Actually, I guess the first. I guess some of them are considered decent, but um. You know, the fourth and fifth one are definitely not considered to be good at all. But um, this is something I've discussed extensively with you guys. But, you know, I just love the series as a whole, and I always will. I recognize that they're poor and they're outlandish and, you know, cringy maybe, and the script's not that great, but I just love sitting there and just, you know, soaking up robot fights for two, hour, two and a half hours. Awesome. Wish I could relate. <laughs> I don't know. There's just, there's just some charm about it. There's, I don't know. Gracious with your answer, Fitzy. I don't know if this movie is considered that bad, but um, I really used to uh, like it. And I think if I watched it today, I'd still uh, enjoy it to a large extent. It's um, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm. Now, is this, is this a bad movie, guys? I don't know. It's considered bad. I haven't seen it since I was a very young lad, so. Okay. But, I mean... It's just great because you've got, you know, you've got all these superhero characters. You've got Wolverine. You've got his brother. Like, you learn about his brother. What other movie do you learn about Wolverine's brother? There's no other movie like that. You're and right, got, um, you know, you got... He appears in the other, like, three original X-Men, though, doesn't he? Yeah, but this is, this is Wolverine. X-Men Origins Wolverine. It's Origins, Jane. Come on. Yeah, oh, come sorry. On. Yes. They, they go into, like, his dad and the war and stuff, and that that's all cool. But then you've got... You've got the cool magician guy, you've got Cyclops, and you've got Deadpool, yeah. who they're like, fight at the end, and it's pretty cool, and he's like, all got his mouth, like, sewed up or some shit, and I was really scary as a kid, as a, as a young lad, and so, it's just an amazing, underrated movie, and I think it'll, it's definitely going to age up well in the future, with time. My experience with that movie is, I remember, we used to get, like, DVDs, uh, we rented them and they got sent to us in the mail and then, you know, we'd send them back. Um, mm, and we got X-Men Origins Wolverine sent to us. And I watched it, I remember, one day. And then I liked it so much, I watched it again the next day. I watched it twice in 48 hours. See? 24 hours, I guess, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a lot of good action scenes and shit. Like, uh, you know, you got Deadpool in there and he's, like, slicing all the bullets and stuff. And he's got a blue uniform, which is cool. Yeah. Just so cool, man. This is really good outrage marketing to like get all like the Marvel nerds to our podcast and just complain in the comments. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm, I I feel like I feel like they'd they'd be preaching this, you know. They'd love this. They'd no, they it. hate X Men. Oh, 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 sorry. We're not shitting on that. Like, this is, if he's talking about how good it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, oh, uh, oh yeah. no, no irony. No irony. Question mark. Oh, no. Uh, well, okay. No, I mean, I mean a little bit tongue-in-cheek but i mean i actually really sure i still do believe all those things that 
I mean, I'm sure if I watch it today, I'd look at, I'd see all the problems and stuff, but I don't know, it just seems like a, such a great masterpiece of action and, um, you know, character. And, um, it's just everything, really. I mean, the opening montage is like where like, yeah. they're showing like him and his brother throughout the, like all the wars in history, right? The Civil War, yeah, and then you got yeah. the fuck, you got Wolverine with the cool bones coming out of his hands, and he's like, yeah. way, it's like way grittier than the middle, and then he gets created into the into the Wolverine with metal in his arms, and you got the like the scientist doctor, dude. <laughs> That's such a good movie, guys. When are, when are we doing this movie, man? Let's let's do it. When we do this, oh, yeah. oh it's on Disney Plus. There you go. Holy shit, it is. <laughs> oh, we I just want to acknowledge that you said Fitzy, you said. This movie, it's everything. Put it on the box. <laughs> uh, my, my choice is is Wolf Creek 2, okay? Have you guys uh, seen Wolf Creek 2? No, I've only seen the first one. You see, Oh, you've seen the first one. Okay, that helps a little bit. Um, yeah, so, the, so Jen, would you, say, would you say the first Wolf Creek is like a, a semi-entertaining, kind of, it's kind of a lackluster like, thriller, like horror movie, but it's like, I think it's, it's, an, it's an okay. iconic, like, in terms of like Australian cinema, it's it, it is iconic in like you know. Yeah, oh no, for sure it's yeah. iconic, but I don't know if it's good. I think it is like regarded as good. I mean, good enough to get a sequel. Oh sure, yeah. Like, I don't think the movie's bad, but it's just like it's kind of like uh, it's kind of weird and generic. Like, dude, um, what's the what's his name? Bloody um, the main dude, actor's name, um, Jeff. Ja- no, what's his name? Jarrett something. It's John Jarrett, apparently. You got it, thank you. Yes, John Jarrett. Yeah, that's his name. Dude, he's creepy as hell in the movies, and uh, he's really cool. Um, he, I mean, he's easily the best part of the movies. He's awesome. But anyway, sorry, Wolf Creek Two, though. Okay, um, this movie is is genuinely terrible, but it is. It was. I just had a blast watching it. It's you've got everything that makes the first Wolf Creek kind of entertaining. You know, you've got the kind of over the top violence. Um, you've got Je- uh, John. I was about to say Jeff Jarrett. John Jarrett doing his thing, doing his crazy over-the-top psychopath performance. It's great. He's like an outback Australian who loves, like, basically chopping people's arms off. I'm all about that. Um, so you've got those entertaining elements. But at the same time, you've got CGI kangaroos that get run over by a truck, which, I mean, <laughs> me just saying that, like, it really probably doesn't do much for anyone this scene in the movie, it was something, okay? Because what's happening, all right? John Jarrett's trying to hunt down this this British backpacker guy. He's trying to kill him, basically. That's literally the entire movie. And, you know, he comes close a few times and all this shit. And there's one scene where the, the backpacker guy, I think it's like a car chase or some shit. John Jarrett's in this huge truck. And the British dude's driving, you know, away from John Jarrett. And for no reason, a bunch of probably for CGI, the terrible CG, by the way, you know, Australian CG, awful CG, kangaroos just run onto the road and John Jarrett just mows them down and blood just goes everywhere and he just laughs. He thinks it's hilarious. That scene definitely didn't have to be in the movie, but I loved it. Yeah, Wolf Creek 2, what a movie. Well, Zach, what I'm about to tell you might make you shit yourself, but Wolf Creek 3 is predicted for 2022. Are you shitting me? Because I know there's a TV show. I haven't seen that. Um, no, yeah, no, it says Wolf Creek 3 filming at the moment, 2022 release. Dude, I'm in. I, I want to see those CG kangaroos and their children, okay? <laughs> All right, well, there you go. We talked about some fun movies this week. We somehow managed to talk about a lot of other movies way more than Onward, but that's fine. 
whatever whatever floats our boat. Thanks for tuning into Cinema Effect this week. We appreciate your time. Fitzy, what the hell are we watching next week? Uh, we're watching. I'm watching Goodfellas next week. Oh yeah, hell which, yeah! Um, you know, is a pretty big movie in the in the history of cinema on the planet Earth. On the planet of Earth, and uh, excited for that. It's on. Um, I think it's on Foxtel, and if you have that, you can just get it on YouTube or Google Google Play in Australia. So no, none of you guys have seen uh, Goodfellas. No, no. I've seen the opening scene, I think, because we we, mm. we watched it in class one day. But that's it. Yeah. Actually, am I allowed to say we watched it in class? I don't want the school to get in trouble for showing an R eighteen film to seventeen year olds. I never think about like movie ratings. These days, as you in, don't like, need to worry about them anymore. Yeah, I guess so. Isn't like age ratings, but um, what do you guys ever like think about that? I guess I have to because whenever I go to the cinemas, I always get ID'd because I look like I'm twelve. Uh, <laughs> you don't look. I look way younger than you, though, dude. Do you? Because like one time, like legit one time, I went to the cinemas and I got asked for ID three times. I reckon that is so I, don't know. I feel like that's a coincidence, though. I, mean, I, I, look, I look pretty young as well. I, the only movie I've been ID'd for was um was um Joker, which was a weird experience. Oh, yeah. They thought but, you were an incel. They needed to get your details. Yeah. The trials and tribulations of being grown up but looking like a toddy. Yeah, like the thing is, like even when I go with mates, like they won't get questioned because they look old enough. But like that, you know, the people see me standing with them, but they'll still ask me. Like, <laughs> is that your younger brother? <laughs> Yeah, mum made us bring him along. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in again. Jane, Liam, thanks for joining me on this uh, interesting episode. Cheers. Thanks. We'll see you all next week. Have a great rest of your week and...